Welcome to Sunday Homilies with me, Father Mike Schmitz. I hope today's homily inspires and motivates you. And I also hope that it leaves you hungry for the one who gave everything to feed you. If you want to get this and other Sunday Mass resources sent straight to your inbox, sign up at ascensionpress.com slash Sunday or by texting Sunday to 33777. You can also follow or subscribe in your podcast app for weekly notifications. God bless. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So um, this piece of all saints, there's some of the some of the kind of the same beats we just take every single year. It's one of those um, that is, it's like the questions come up like, what's a saint? And I, I think it's just really important for us to understand. There's kind of three ways we talk about saints. So in the scriptures, Saint Paul says anybody who is baptized, anyone who's in Christ, is a saint. Because why? Because saint means holy, and holy means to be set apart which means every, every human being who's been baptized has been set apart. If you've been baptized, you were consecrated, you're set apart, you're made holy. Um, yeah, consecrated to the Lord for a purpose. And it's remarkable. So yeah, saint means anyone who's baptized, essentially, all the holy ones. Also, saint does mean uh, the capital ST period. Someone who's gone through like the canonization process of becoming a saint, being declared a saint. So Saint Maximilian Kolbe, Saint Teresa of Avila, those saints are declared saints. That's another kind of category of saint. But in between those, between like the everyone who's, you know, baptized and um, those saints who went through the canonization process, there's this middle group of saints. And, and that basically means anyone who's in heaven. And that's what today's all about. You know, um, Saint Teresa of Avila, she has her feast day. Saint Maximilian Kolbe, he has his feast day. But for all those people who are in heaven right now, all those who live their lives for the Lord, we have this one day where we commemorate all the saints and what God has done in them. And, and that's one of the things, like, it's too, like the question can ask, you know, people sometimes will ask, okay, it's okay, Catholics, I get it. So you have saints meaning these three different things, great. But why do you spend so much time, why do you spend so much emphasis, why do you spend so much attention on these saints? And I think that's a great question. The answer is, why would you look at a sculpture by Michelangelo? Why would you just look at Michelangelo? Why would you uh, spend so much time looking at a painting by Van Gogh? Why would you just look at Van Gogh? The reality, of course, is that when we look at Michelangelo's sculpture of David or we look at Van Gogh's paintings and we we praise them, we're not just saying that the sculpture is amazing. We're saying the sculptor is amazing. We're not just saying the painting is amazing. We're saying the painter is amazing. So when we, when we praise God for, for, for his saints, what we're doing is we're saying, God, you did that. Because here's what God does. God takes ordinary, normal people and makes them extraordinary. That's what it is to be a saint, to be completely natural, but to have God's 
grace inside one, you live an actual, really, truly supernatural life. Because the saints are literally just like us in so many ways, with one marked difference. They said yes to grace. In fact, again, one of my favorite definitions or descriptions of a saint is it's so easy. A saint is someone who says yes to God and then just never stops saying yes. So sometimes I think we think that being a saint is beyond our reach. But a saint is someone who says yes to God and then just never stops saying yes. And we have so many different examples of saints throughout the history of the church. People who live lives of great innocence and great purity and people who live lives that were just really, really broken. One of those examples of someone who lived a life of great innocence and great purity, uh, St. Therese of Lisieux. Uh, you probably, I know you guys know who St. Therese of Lisieux is. St. Therese who um, entered the convent at the age of 15 that she had uh, appealed to the Pope to enter, I think, even younger than that. And he said, no, we made her wait until 15. And then, um, the, which, which looks like, okay, well, she was holy from the beginning, that, that she didn't have, need any help. Well, Therese uh, needed help simply to live. What I mean by that is she got to the convent because she had, you know, big aspirations of being a saint. She got there early, young, because she had great aspirations of being a saint. And she got there and she realized, I don't have what it takes. Like she got there and realized, I don't have the strength to even pray like the other sisters here. I don't have the strength to be a great saint. I just don't have it in me. And But rather than being discouraged by her weakness, she was encouraged by the strength that came from Jesus. Again, her weakness didn't discourage her. Her weakness, her weakness, her just that sense of like she would fall asleep in prayer. And you know, you might think, okay, <laughs> if that's the least of your problems, like let's move on to someone a little more intense. We will in a second. But if that's the least of your problems, then or that's the most of your problems, then then we need someone to talk about someone else. But for her, that was a sense of like, no, she wanted to love the Lord with everything she had, but she didn't have the capacity. She didn't have the ability to do this. Rather than become discouraged. Rather than quit, she kept trying, but she also knew this. She also knew that, okay, Lord, when I fall asleep in prayer, I'm going to place myself as your beloved daughter in your arms, O Father. Again, it was one of those things where I, I think what we would do is we'd beat ourselves up, we'd yell, yell at ourselves, we'd, we'd call ourselves all sorts of names and say, like, why can't you be better? And Trez, Trez she did try. She, it's not like she gave up and just said, I'm going to take a nap and lay down horizontally. Like, she kept trying to pray, but she knew, but Lord, in my weakness, you still love me. Lord, in my weakness, in fact, you might even love me best when I'm weakest. And so if I fall asleep in prayer, I'm going to let you hold me as a loving father would hold his beloved daughter, because that's who I am to you. I'm your beloved daughter. That's what St. John says in that second reading. He says, beloved, we're God's children now. What we shall be, we don't even know yet. In heaven, we don't even have any idea yet. But right now, you're God's child. And so if you fail, what do you do? You allow your father to pick you up. If like Therese, we fall asleep, what do we do? Don't beat ourselves up, but we allow our father to hold us. And that's what she did. She allowed God in her weakness to hold her. In fact, she even described her weakness. She said um, the elevator had just been invented at the time that Therese lived. It's one of the images that she had. She says, some people are incredible. Some people are great mountaineers. Some people... um, are strong and they're powerful and they're adventurous and they can climb up mountains. She said, but I, I'm, I'm little and I'm weak and I could never do this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I want to go to the top of the mountain though. 
but that's because she still was adventurous. I want to go to the top of the mountain. What I'm going to do is I'm going to let the Lord in his grace be like the elevator that brings me up from the base of the mountain to the summit. And he wants to do this. She was convinced of God's love for her. He wants to do this because that's where he wants me. That's where, that's where he wants me on top of the mountain. He wants me in heaven and he wants you in heaven. And so here's Therese who had this incredible confidence that even though I'm too weak to climb up the mountain, even though I'm too weak to scramble my way to heaven, the Father loves me so much that he will lift me up to heaven if I just allow him to. And that's the same thing. Same thing is true for us. In your weakness, God wants heaven for you. Rather than become discouraged at your weakness or discouraged at your failures or your sins, to allow the Lord to heal you, to allow the Lord to lift you up, to allow the Lord to forgive you. Again, a saint is someone who says yes to God and never stops saying yes, which means that um, on days when you show up for prayer, that's you saying yes. Keep saying yes. In days where you fall and make a shipwreck of your life and you need to go to confession, he's inviting you to confession. Just simply say yes. At any stage in our lives, whether we're doing really, really well or really, really horribly, we can always say yes to God. And that's exactly what a saint does. Nothing more and nothing less. Even in her weakness, Therese was able to say yes to the Lord. Another, another saint, um, this woman named Mary, St. Mary of Egypt is her name. St. Mary of Egypt, uh, she lived in the early centuries of the church and she was from Egypt. Funny enough, her name was Mary. Um, but but St. Mary of Egypt, she described her life and she described she was a prostitute and she said that she was a prostitute not because she needed money. She said she was not a prostitute because of any kind of social economic situations. She said she was a pro- prostitute because she liked being a prostitute. At least she claimed that in her, her, her later life. At one point, Mary of Egypt heard about this group of people who were on a pilgrimage, take a pilgrimage, they were to sail across the Mediterranean to the Holy Land. And so she just decided, I'll go with them on this pilgrimage. So she got on the ship and she even on the way, even on this pilgrimage with a bunch of other pilgrims going to the Holy Land, a bunch of other Christians going to the Holy Land, she basically paid her way on that ship by prostituting herself to the other pilgrims. So it was getting brokenness upon brokenness. When she arrived in Jerusalem, when she arrived in, 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 in Israel, she said just she gave herself fully over to all this stuff and just kind of, again, because as she said, I just wanted to. And we all know this. We all know that scripture says everyone who sins is a slave of sin. So Mary, she didn't know she was a slave at this point. She thought, this is just what I'm choosing. I know it goes against everything that these Christians teach. I know it goes against everything that is right and good and holy. I don't care. Because everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Mary was a slave of sin and she didn't realize that. At one point, there's this massive crowd going into the church of the Holy Sepulcher, right? That's the church where Golgotha is, where Jesus was crucified and where the, the tomb is, where Jesus rose from the dead. And so with this crowd, and they're walking through this door to enter into the church of the Holy Sepulcher. And at one point she tried to enter it and she was prevented. Like she couldn't, there was like an invisible hand keeping her back from being able to enter the church. And so she thought, maybe I just need to fight harder. So she tried fighting harder. Maybe I just need to wait for the crowd to thin out. She waited for the crowd to thin out and then approached the door and she could not walk through it. There was something preventing her, like physically preventing her from being able to pass through that door. And she just realized in that moment what kind of a slave she was. In that moment, she realized, here's what I've done. I've actually separated myself from the Lord so fully, I don't have access. She was a baptized Christian, but she realized, I don't have access to this holy place. And she said, she stood outside in this courtyard and just wept and wept maybe finally coming to realize 
what she had done to herself. That this repeated choice of sin had made her a slave. And she had no longer had access to the Father, had no longer had access to grace. She's underneath an icon of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And she says she just looked up at this icon, looked up at this image of Our Lady, and she just cried out, asking for Mary's intercession. Asking that Mary would do something to help her break through and enter into this holy place. And as she wept and as she prayed, something changed and she got up and was able to walk through this door by Mary's intercession. And she went through all the things she needed to do, right? right? Confession, all the things, being reconciled. Because why? Because a saint is someone who says yes to God. And that moment, Mary began saying yes to God. She then, um, after she was reconciled with the Lord, she then went out into the wilderness. She became one of the, one of the desert mothers. And she spent the rest of her life in prayer and in penance. She, she spent the rest of her life largely in solitude. But she also spent the rest of her life battling. She said for 17 years, regularly she was tempted to go back. She remembered all the wine she drank in Egypt. She regularly tempted to go back and have even, she's like, I wouldn't even drink water, but she was tempted so strongly to drink wine. For 17 years, she was tempted so strongly back to those sexual encounters. For 17 years, she just battled against this. And then at some point, there was another step where the Lord just brought her even greater freedom. And she left the, lived the reign of her, remainder of her life, continuing to draw near to the Lord, continuing to, continuing to say yes to him until the end of her life. And that's St. Mary of Egypt, St. Therese of the Sioux, two very, very different lives. They started out and lived very, very differently, but they ended up very similar. They both ended up glorifying the Lord because they both ended up saying yes to God and not stopping saying yes to God. And this is for all of us. This is what God wants for every single one of us. There's a, there's a scene in the book, The Great Divorce, which is one of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis. And it's the difference between heaven and hell. And at one point, um, these, these ghosts, essentially, from hell are on the plains of heaven or like a kind of a version of purgatory. It's kind of something like this, where they have a choice, where they could go on to heaven. It's, it's a whole thing. It's not really Catholic. It's not really a Catholic idea about this, but it's, it's C.S. Lewis. It's great. At one point, C.S. Lewis himself is being given a tour and he sees this woman. And actually, he hears her long before he sees her because he hears this, this music and these voices of young people just praising and singing and dancing, all these animals. And, all the, and there's, they're in this procession just praising this person. And this woman starts is walking behind all these young people, all these animals. And at one point, C.S. Lewis says to his guide in, on these plains of heaven, he says, wait, is that meaning? Is that Mary? Because there's so much joy, there's so much life, there's so much, so many people surrounding this woman and giving praise to God for what he's done in this person's life that, that C.S. Lewis is, is, is convinced this must be Mary. And his guide says, oh, no, no, that's, <laughs> that's not her. That's just Jane Smith or whatever her name is. That's just Jane, Jane Smith who lived, lived on Canterbury Road. Um, just this simple woman who just loved whoever came to her door. This simple woman, whenever a child came to her door and needed something, she would give him something. Whenever an animal came to her door, she would take care of the animal. Just this woman who was given over to love of God. Just this woman who said yes to God. 
And here's what God had done in our life. See, most of us, we will not ever have our own feast day. Most of us will never be known for when we said yes to God or how we said yes to God. And that's why we have this All Saints Day because this is the day that we realize we have been, we have been surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And this is the last thing. And it's something I always say on All Saints Day because it's just so powerful for me. It's just one of those incredible things. In Hebrews chapter 12, the author says, he's just in Hebrews 11, has described all these great saints, people in the Old Testament. And he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's persevere in running the race that is set before us, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. Again, shedding every encumbrance of sin that clings to us, but keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, let us persevere in running the race. And I always think, whenever, it's, whenever I think of that, I always think of, um, it's a story I will tell a thousand times. I apologize if you've heard it a thousand times. But it is, um, back in the day, my family and I, we used to do this thing called the Ironman Triathlon. And the Ironman Triathlon is a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and a 26.2-mile run. And so you do all that thing in a, in a day. In fact, in fact, the race starts at 7 a.m., and you have to finish the race by midnight that same day. And so where we would go, uh, one of our favorite, favorite places to do this race was in uh, Penticton, British Columbia. So one year, I think there, was, there must have been, I think, five or six of us in our family who had done the race. And, uh, and so one of the things we had, you do is when you finish the race— um, you go home and get showered and whatever and come back to, to watch the finish of the people because people are finishing up to midnight. And so here in, in British Columbia, it was awesome because like not only the whole town would come up for this race, but people would come from all, from all over the place just to cheer people on. So as you're running that last, you know, part of the marathon back into town, the last six miles or so is there's, there's people on the side of the road. And as you get closer and closer to the center of town down Main Street, it's like shoulder to shoulder, like multiple, like two deep, three deep, four deep. And then what happens is, you get the last 100 meters. And the last 100 meters, you take this uh, 90 degree left-hand turn. Left-hand turn, and then you walk, you come through this, and there's like bleachers on either side of the road, and there's like all this music playing, there's loud speakers, and there's like big, you know, finish sign over it. So here we are. And, you know, you run down, take a, take a left, and last 100 meters, sprint to the finish, and there's people saying, calling your name in, whatever, and everyone's cheering. It's great, it's awesome. So here we are, my family, we all got done with the race. Took a shower, got some neat, come back to the, the finish line. It's like 10 o'clock or so. And we're sitting in the bleachers and just cheering people on as they're coming in. It's really party atmosphere. It's getting later and later and later. At one point, it's about 11.45 p.m. And the guy in the, announce, the announcer says, you guys, there's a guy out there right now. And he's two miles away from the finish. Let's bring him in. And so what people did was they, they jumped off the bleachers and they ran across the little park behind us and started running down the, down the, <laughs> the race course to run the guy in. I did not. I was not one of those people because I was like, uh, A, I'm tired. I just did a whole race today. B, he's got 15 minutes to run two miles. I, I don't think this can happen. He's been racing since 7 a.m. this morning. There's no way this person, whoever they are, can run these last two miles in 15 minutes. Well, a couple of minutes passed, a bunch of time passes. And then it's about you know seven minutes too. And the guy gets on and says, you guys, he's less than a mile away. I'm like, that's crazy. He, he did you know this second to last mile in like eight seven, eight minutes. That's remarkable for the end of the race. More people jump off the bleachers and they run across the park and run down the, down the road. I remain seated still. Um, and at 11.59 or so, I could hear back off to the right. I remember this so clearly. You hear back off to the right, this, like this, this growing rumble that kept getting louder and louder and louder. And we're looking down this, this, this main street and all of a sudden this guy comes cruising around the, around the corners, like leaning into the corner, and he's just sprinting for everything he possibly has as he's running on these last 100 meters of this 
two four-mile swim. It's a 112-mile bike and 26.2-mile run. And behind him, filling up the entire road, is this like V formation of all of these people filling up everything and running behind him. He ran across the finish line at 11.59 and 47 seconds. He, he, he finished the race by 13 seconds, surrounded by all these people. I mean, everyone was going nuts. Everyone's just crying and cheering. It's so huge. But I remember thinking, this is Hebrews chapter 12. When the author says, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. These are people who themselves have run the race. They can't run the race for you. And they can't run the saints. They can't run the race for me. They can't run the race for us. They've already run their race. Run their race. But what do they still do? They still cheer us on. They still urge us on. They still intercede for us. They're still helping us. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. That's what we're celebrating today. This feast of all saints. This great cloud of witnesses that continues to cheer you on. That continues to intercede for you. That continues to run behind you. They cannot run the race for you, but they can run the race with you. Because they want for you what they have. What they have is this feast day. What they have is the Lord himself. What they are is they are saints in heaven right now. And today is their feast day. What they want is for this day to one day be your feast day. That one day, your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren on this day will say, this is mom's feast day. This is dad's feast day. This is, this is our grandpa's feast day. This is our grandma's feast day. The feast of all saints. This is their day. Because they ran the race. They kept the faith. And now, this is their day.